welcome you who are online with us as well. It's good to have you here. We are in a new series on the Gospel of John. We're calling it Light because light is a major theme uh, as we go through this book, as we have seen and we will continue to see. And uh, this is a gospel. So uh, we got four gospels. They focus on the person of Christ, his life, his teaching, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. And it would make sense for us as Christians that we would spend a lot of time studying the life of Christ since he's the one that we believe in and who has saved us. And so we've been for the last three weeks in the prologue. The prologue is kind of the voiceover at the beginning of the movie where someone just tells you kind of, you know, welcome to the movie and here's who the movie's about and here's some of the major themes. And uh, today we come to verse 19. Uh, so we have talked about Jesus. We've talked about Jesus as the word. We've talked about him as eternal, uh, that he was both with God, we talked about, and was God, which is kind of mind-blowing that he is creator, that he was life, and uh, in that life was light. Last week, Pastor Scott talked about the fact that Christ became flesh, and in doing so was the ultimate revelation of God, not, not just a prophet, and not just a word from God, but God himself who came to be among us. Today, we move from the prologue into the story itself. We're gonna dive into a place and a time and a location uh, and with particular people. And uh, we're gonna start in verse 19. I'm not gonna read the whole text, but I'm gonna read a little bit of the text that we're gonna cover today in John chapter one, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. So, by the way, I'll mention, it can be a little confusing. We have John the disciple, John the apostle, who wrote this book. But today, when we talk about John, we're talking about John the Baptist or John the baptizer. That's the John that he's talking about here. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I'm not the Christ. And so they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. They asked, are you the prophet? And he said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this morning. We thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here. Father, I pray for um, our youth and our staff who are away this weekend and uh, they right now are gathered together and they're studying your word. And so we, we pray for them today uh, that you'll be with them, be with Pastor Matthias as he teaches them. And we just pray for our youth just for a great morning of worship. We pray that lives are changed through the teaching of your word. And we pray the same for us. Father God, I pray for us this morning as we open your word, as we look into it, that uh, we will see you and that you will speak to us through the life of Christ and through the testimony we look at today of John the Baptist. Speak to us now in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say, amen, amen. 
So today we're in the story proper and our uh, first point in our outline this morning is this, not me but him. So I gotta tell you, you're gonna think I didn't but I worked really hard on my outline this weekend. We'll get into that. Um, So I have to admit, it feels a little lazy to have the first point be the same as the title uh, but there's a reason for that. So we're gonna have to do a lot of hopping around this morning time-wise. We we have the story of, of John the Baptist in John chapter one. But really, if we're going to talk about John, we're going to have to go back about 30 years before the story that we're looking at today. And there was a a couple, a husband and a wife, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're told that they were a godly couple, and we're told that they loved God, and they were righteous people. Um, But they were old, and they had never had a child. They were childless. Now, Zechariah was a priest. And it came time for him to travel from where they lived to Jerusalem with the other uh, team of priests and to go and to serve for a couple weeks at the temple. And and when they would go to the temple, they would uh, kind of, you know, divvy out assignments. Who's going to do what over the next couple weeks while we work at the temple? But there was one kind of really coveted job, and that was to be able to go into the holy place and burn incense. And in order for you to be that person, they would uh, cast lots, or they were like, almost like dice, and they would see who was going to go in and do that. It was a coveted job. And, and most priests would go their whole life and never get to do it. But we're told on this occasion, 30 years before this story, uh, he went to serve, and he, the dice came out in his favor. And so he went in to the holy place, and he was burning incense at the hour of prayer, and people were outside of the temple, and they were praying, and while he was in there, we're told that an angel appeared to him, and this angel's name was Gabriel, and this is a a really big deal because there's been no word from God for 400 years. We call it the 400 years of silence from Malachi until now. No angels, no prophets, no leaders with a word from God. And so Zechariah is is there in the holy place and this angel appears and he is stunned and he is very much afraid because he doesn't know what's about to happen. Back in Luke chapter one, we read about the story. It says, now the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What, What prayer is that that has been heard? Well, we're told. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, he, his mind has to be racing because they're old. I mean, they're really old in their past childbearing years. You know, have you ever had that like, God, now you're answering my prayer? Like now? And that's basically what's happening here. And he will be great before the Lord and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like Zechariah wouldn't even know what that meant at that point, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He says, this is what your, your son is gonna do. And he will go before him, that is the Messiah, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God says, your son is gonna prepare hearts for the coming of the Messiah. Now, Zechariah doubts Gabriel. He's old, his wife is old. And so Gabriel says, I'll tell you what all, I'm gonna give you just a little uh, help to know that what I'm saying is gonna happen. You won't be able to speak from now on until your son is born and, and he is named. And so what happens, that suddenly Zechariah can't speak. He goes out of the holy place and everyone's like, what happened in there? And he can't tell them. So people are you know, wondering what's going on. And so he goes home and he's with his wife and she becomes pregnant. 
And so you just have, like I'm trying to imagine, right? They're at the, they're at the breakfast table and, and, and she tells Zechariah, you know, I, I, I'm pregnant and they talk about it. Well, they actually don't talk. He can't talk, so she talks and he listens. And uh, this goes on for six months. Now for six months, right, she's pray. everyone has to be like, what's going on with Elizabeth, right? And in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel appears to another woman. Now this time, instead of an old woman, it's a young woman. Instead of a, a married woman, it's a single woman. And, and the angel tells her, you are going to become pregnant uh, while a virgin, and you're going to give birth to a son. And it all may seem too fantastic to believe, and so I have a sign for you. Go find your relative Elizabeth, that old lady who's beyond childbearing years, and you'll find out that she's pregnant. And this is a sign for you. And so she does it. Mary goes and finds Elizabeth, and we're told that when uh, Mary is approaching Elizabeth and says, hey, you know, I don't know if it was like, yo, Elizabeth, or, you know, hey, what's up, Elizabeth, and says that when she says it, that John leaps around in the womb, and, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and John is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this amazing, incredible thing. And then John is born, and, and when John is born, everyone assumes his name would be Zechariah after his dad. That was pretty typical. So they're like, okay, we're going to name him Zechariah, and John's like, you know, uh, Zechariah's like, no, no, we can't do that. He, I mean, he's like shaking his head because he can't talk. So they gave him a tablet and he writes on there, his name will be John. And as soon as he writes that, he, his tongue is loosened and he's able to talk and he gives praise to God and John is born and he's named John. And uh, can you just, but just imagine the day that he's born. Like, my wife and I, we have three kids. And, you know, before each of our kids were born, like we were excited for them and praying for them, hopeful for them and had plans for them and all that. But we never had a word from God. We didn't have any angel come and say, you know, your child's going to be great and pave the way for this and that. And so just imagine the expectations that they have. Now, the interesting thing is John just drops off the radar. There's no uh, record of John growing up, how he grew up, where he grew up. But now suddenly he bursts onto the scene in the Gospels. Here he is and now he's probably 29 or 30 years old at this point. And when we pick up the story in John, he's actually been preaching in the wilderness for about a year now. So John is like, he, he lives off the grid. And we're told he wears a, a camel skin like coat, which is like just really rough and, and, and rugged, you know. He's kind of Eddie Bauer stuff out there in the wilderness. He, he eats wild honey and grasshoppers. That's, that's his thing. That's what he eats. And he's very devoted to God. And everyone's talking about John, this guy who lives out by the river and people are going out and coming back and saying, have you heard this guy? Have you seen this guy? He's like, you know, he's, they're going out. People are like, hey, let's take the weekend and let's go camp out by the river and listen to John and they go out and hear him. It's like a whole thing. And then they'd be so convicted that they decide to get baptized and, uh, for their sins and, you know, his podcast is blowing up. He's got lots of Twitter followers. Just like, he's the buzz. And, and here's the thing. It's been 400 years. Like the last time Israel heard from God, there was a prophecy. There's a prophecy that God would send a prophet. Now John is young. John is on fire. He's different from the other spiritual leaders. People are drawn to him. Now about six weeks before the story that we're reading today, about six weeks we're told that Jesus went to visit John as John was, was baptizing. Now John and Jesus were relatives. They're, they're cousins. Um, 
they probably hung out together when they were kids. They probably went to like family functions and, and uh, let's see, they wouldn't have had Easter and they wouldn't have had Christmas, but they would have had some other holidays, you know, like family reunions and stuff that they went to and they would hang, hang out together. And, and John obviously knows that Jesus is a very righteous person, but John doesn't know he's the Messiah. So it's just, just this really thing, interesting thing where they would be together and, and John knows Jesus and John knows that he's living to help bring in the Messiah but he doesn't know that his cousin is the Messiah. So God tells John that, that he'll give him a sign. This is how he'll, he'll know who the Messiah is. He'll, he'll just be out baptizing one day and someone's gonna come and say, can you baptize me? And God says, when you baptize this guy, John, the, the Holy Spirit's gonna come down kind of like a dove and rest on him and that's how you'll know who the Messiah is. And so about six weeks before the story, Jesus comes out to John and says, hey, can you baptize me? And John says, this seems a little backwards. You're more righteous than me. And Jesus says, can you do it anyways? Like, let's just do it. And they do it. And in Matthew chapter three, we get a little record of this. It says, now when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so this is the sign for John. This guy right here is the Messiah. He's the son of God. Now, news of John and his ministry uh, has reached the ears of the religious leaders who live in Jerusalem a little ways away. And they don't know who this guy is and they don't know why he's doing what he's doing and he's not part of their, their team, right? And they're the ones who are in control. So they send uh, a committee to investigate John. They got their clipboards and their pens and they're gonna figure out, they got their questions and they wanna know who he was and what he was doing and why he was doing it and who told him he could do it. That's the big thing because all they know is it wasn't them. So in John chapter one, verse 19, where we pick up our story today after all that back, background story, it says, and this is the testimony of John the baptizer. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, to, to question him, who are you? And he confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. Right, so this is really interesting here, right? It, now the Christ is the Messiah, uh, God's anointed one, the one that they believe God was going to send them to save them as a nation. And John says, it's not me, I'm not the Christ. Now here's the interesting thing, if you read the passage, notice they didn't ask him if he was the Christ. They didn't ask him if he was the Messiah. Right? But, but people were thinking it. People were wondering, maybe, maybe this guy is the one. And notice how emphatic he is. Notice it says he confessed, he did not deny, and again he confessed. He's just like, it's not me. You just need to know right now, like, that's not who I am. And so they asked him, what then? Are, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. They asked, are you the prophet? And he said, no, three strikes, you're out. No more questions, right? now." No, he says, no, no, I'm not. So the closing words of the Old Testament, if you go back to the book of Malachi, at the end of Malachi, written 400 years before what we're reading today, right, there was a prophecy in Malachi 4, 5, and it, it said this, Behold, God said, I will send you Elijah. I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So the Jews were expecting Elijah to show up at some point and they would know that God was not far behind. In fact, they had a thing called the Elijah chair. And sometimes when they're having feasts and festivals and, and dinners together as family, they would have an empty chair, and that was Elijah's chair. They were just waiting for Elijah. It was called the chair of hope. And people noticed that John 
was kind of like Elijah. Like he, he, he dressed like Elijah did, and he was living off the grid like Elijah did, and he had a ministry, he was bold like Elijah, so they thought, well, maybe he's Elijah. So they asked him, are you Elijah? He says, no. Um, you know, now, when he says, I am not, it seems to contradict something that Jesus says a little bit later in Matthew eleven fourteen, 14. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, and if you are willing to accept it, he, that is John, is Elijah, who is to come. Now, he's not saying that John was literally Elijah, but that he had a ministry like Elijah. They had power and spirit and boldness like Elijah. In fact, remember, that's exactly what Gabriel told John the Baptist's dad. He said, he will have the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, what's really interesting to me about all this is when John says, no, that's not me, I'm not Elijah, commentators will note that John doesn't seem to attach as much significance to himself and his ministry as Jesus does. Leon Morris puts it this way. He says, no, no person is what they think they are in their own eyes, right? He is really only as he is known to God. At a later time, Jesus equated John with the Elijah of Malachi's prophecy, but that doesn't carry with it the implication that John himself was aware, was aware of his true position. Jesus confers on John his true significance. And he says this, and I love this, no man is what he himself thinks he is. He is only what Jesus knows him to be. That's who you are. We are who Jesus knows us to be. John comes along and says, I'm nobody. And that's true in one sense. But on the other hand, Jesus says, John is a great man. So they ask him, you know, uh, who are you? He says, I'm not the Christ. He says, uh, I'm not Elijah. So they ask him, are you the prophet? Now the prophet is, it kind of goes back to Deuteronomy 18, when God speaks to Moses and he says, I will raise up for Israel a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. So they're like, are you that guy? Are you that prophet? And he says, nope, not that guy either. Verse 22, so they said to them, then who are you? Because they, they, they don't know what else to think. Like, just tell us who you are. We need to give an account. We got clipboards, we got questions. We got to go back to the Pharisees and we got to tell them something. So John, just tell us, who are you? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So to answer the question about who he is, he uh, quotes a 700-year-old passage from Isaiah. He reaches way back. John is just basically saying that his message is the same message as the Old Testament. Right? There's no Old Testament God and New Testament God, Old Testament message and New Testament. There's only one. And John says it's, it's always been the same. The Old Testament's all pointed to Jesus. Even though they didn't, hadn't seen him, even though they didn't know him by name, they pointed forward to him. They were looking forward to him. John is considered the final and greatest Old Testament prophet. We consider John an Old Testament prophet because he lives and dies before Jesus goes to the cross and raises from the dead. But John is the only Old Testament prophet that gets to see the Messiah face to face, much less baptize him. John says, I'm just a voice. I'm just a, a communicator. I'm just making way, making ready the way for the Lord. So John says, not me, but, but him, which brings us to point two, which sounds a lot like point one, because it is exactly like point one. So 
But I really did work hard on this outline, as you'll see. So the point is, this is the message of the gospel, right? It's all about Jesus. John says, it's not about me, it's about Christ. We know the same thing is true today. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about other people, it's about Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. So moving on in verse 24. It says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then, if you're not Christ, and you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet, then what are you doing? Why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, you know, I merely baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. So he's kind of rubbing it in here because the Jewish leaders claim to be the enlightened spiritual experts of Israel. And they studied about the Messiah, and they, they prayed about the Messiah, and they talked about the Messiah, and they theorized about the Messiah, and they were vigilant, and yet John says, here's a funny little fact. I know who he is, and you don't. And you're walking, he's like rubbed shoulders with you. you he might have been sitting at the table down from breakfast, you know, and you don't even know who he is. J.C. Riley says this about kind of thinking about Christ moving amongst us today. Christ is still standing among many who neither see nor know nor believe. Christ is passing by many a church and the vast majority have neither an eye to see him nor an ear to hear him. Money and pleasure in the world they know, but they know not Christ. So they ask him, why are you baptizing? Now in Matthew 3 it says this, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and he was proclaiming, he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, so John is out by the river and he's, he's preaching and people are coming from everywhere and he's, he's proclaiming the message. He's not saying the Messiah is coming. He's saying the Messiah is here. He's saying the Messiah is among us. You don't know who he is yet, but he's here, right? And, and then he's saying this, but we Jews, so he's a Jew and he's speaking to Jews primarily, saying we Jews are not ready. We're not ready for Jesus to show up. We're not ready, so get your hearts ready. How do you ready your heart? Well, you repent of your sin, and then you go public in, in water baptism. Now, the word baptize simply means to dip or to submerse in water. But there's an issue here. The Jews had no such baptism. It didn't exist. They had a proselyte baptism. So, for instance, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to convert to Judaism, there was a baptism for that. Um, you would come, you would be baptized actually you would baptize yourself no one else baptized you you would just kind of go through the right and you would dunk yourself underwater and come up no one did that for you but Jews did not get baptized because they were they were God's special people they didn't need to repent of their sin and they didn't need to be baptized but but that's what John's doing John is baptizing Jews and not only that but it's not even self-administered John's baptizing them so you know the religious leaders are like what's going on here we don't have a baptism like that it doesn't exist it's an unsanctioned baptism John has not been licensed if you will or trained by the religious leaders so the, the whole thing is is irregular so the religious leaders sent a team they want to know who is this guy who would dare tell Jews that they should repent of their sins, and who is this man who would introduce this, this baptism that has never been done before, and who is you know, baptizing people? They wanna know, who is this guy who's doing this? So when the leaders asked John, who are you? I mean, he could have said a lot of things. He could have talked about his mom and dad. I think it'd have been like, I, you know, I don't know, my dad was a priest. My mom was from the priestly line. Um, an angel told them, 
um, that I was going to come into the world. Any, any of you guys have an, you know, an angel announce your birth? Any of you have a mom who's past childbearing years? He could have talked about his life of self-denial in the wilderness, about his dedication to God. He could have talked about his grasshopper diet. That could have been big, kind of catch on. And he could, he could have said, like, God speaks to me. Does God speak to you? <laughs> Has he told you anything? But he doesn't say any of that stuff, right? Instead, he just says this. He says, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. In other words, what he says is, point three, not me, <laughs> but him. Right? You get the point here? Not me, but him. John says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Christ is everything. Now, in those days, uh, a teacher, a, a rabbi, a philosopher might have disciples. And disciples, were, they were students. And part of what this disciple would do is, you know, get some teaching from the rabbi or the philosopher and take notes and listen to them and, and emulate them. But they also had to take care of their teacher. They'd have to go do the, the shopping and the cooking and the cleaning and the washing and, and the chores. But one thing a disciple was never required to do was take care of the shoes of their teacher. Right? That was a job for a slave. And what John's saying here is, the one who is coming is so great all right, so they're all looking at John thinking, this guy is a great man. John says, yeah, next to Jesus, I'm nothing. In fact, I'm so nothing that I'm not even qualified to do the job of a slave. So imagine they're looking at John, this great man, and John's like, yeah, not me, but him. You need to know this guy. This is pretty much what Paul says should be the attitude of, of every believer. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, for, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, Right? We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. In John 1, 28, again, he goes on and says, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So finally the day comes and Jesus is, is coming toward John John's down by the river, he's baptizing people and he sees Jesus coming and John stops. He's probably thinking, I've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting for this day when I can finally point to him, like physically. I can physically point my finger and say, there he is. There he is. There is, and notice what he calls him. He calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Now on the one hand, describing Jesus as the Lamb of God is an accurate and simple title for Christ. Now, John's audience, though, would have thought a lot of different things when they thought about lambs and they thought about sin. Um, so, for instance, scholars say, you know, they, they might have thought about the story of Abraham and, and Isaac. Um, in Genesis 22, God calls Abraham to offer his son Isaac as an act of faith. You might remember that. So, you know, Abraham takes his son, and he ties him up, and he's ready to sacrifice him. And God says, no, you don't need to do that. Now I know that you trust me. You have faith. You've passed the test. And then there's a ruckus behind them, and there's a ram that's caught in the thicket. And God provides a sacrifice, a substitute, if you will, for Isaac. Of course, it's, it's not a lamb, so it's, it's kind of like what John's describing, but not quite. Um, we have the Passover lamb of the Exodus. You might remember that story. We've got Moses, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. And then we get to the, to the 10th plague. And there's God's going to pass over 
Egypt and take the life of the firstborn male of every household unless the household takes a lamb and they, they slay that lamb and they put the blood over the doorposts and then God would pass over that house. Uh, scholars remind us it wasn't always a lamb. It didn't have to be a lamb. But again, it's kind of a great picture, if you will, of what Christ did for us. Um, some would think maybe of the gentle lamb of Jeremiah eleven nineteen, which certainly fits Christ. Um, some would think, some mentioned the scapegoat of Leviticus 16. You might be familiar with that story. They would take the sins of the people and put them on this goat and they would send him off into the wilderness and he would carry away the sins of the people. He was the scapegoat. And sometimes when people hear the Lamb of God, they think of that picture or of Abraham and Isaac or they might think of just the lambs that were sacrificed at the temple each morning and evening for the sins of the people uh, that we know were pointing towards Christ. Or they might think of the Lamb of Isaiah, certainly. Um, in Isaiah 53, 6, it tells us this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, right? This paints a picture of what's going to happen a couple years from now in, this, in the story of John. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb, there you have it, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep, that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Scholars say that all these kind of references, all these pictures in the Old Testament, they're, they're kind of little pieces to the, to the lamb puzzle, if you will. They give us little aspects of Christ and what he's going to be like, but none of them are complete. They're pieces, or we might call them shadows, or you might be familiar with the, the term type. But John comes on the scene and says, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, this is a new statement that has never been made, not like this, not about the sins of the world. And some people, kind of, some scholars wrestle with, you know, why does John say this? But remember, John's a prophet. And part of what prophets do is they reveal a fuller revelation of God. And so John comes on the scene and says, I'm going to give you a fuller revelation of what it means for God to provide a, a lamb. Not just, and this is key, the sin, for the sins of the world, not just for the Jews, but for the sins of the world, for everyone who believes. The sins of the world, as one writer put it, the payment that Christ made on the cross was more than enough to pay for the debts of everyone, although it's efficient only for those who believe, who place their faith in Christ. And so we would just say this, that John's message should be our message. It's the message that we should be getting out into the world, that Jesus was God in the flesh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, yes, Christ came to bring abundant life, and he came uh, working miracles, and he can still work miracles today, and he brings blessings, and he brings benefit, and he answers prayer, and he brings joy, and he brings peace. But folks, these are the benefits of the gospel. These are not the gospel. And sometimes we can get the two confused. There are benefits to knowing Christ, but the gospel is Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. That is the gospel, right? The gospel centers on Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Going on in verse 31, John says, I myself did not know him. He's speaking of before the baptism and God revealing. I didn't know who he was, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel and John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but 
He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he in whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so John says, you know, I'm just baptizing with water. It's just water coming down from the Jordan. And, you know, but Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's a whole different thing altogether. D.A. Carson says this in, in this passage. It is not a baptism which any man can give. It is a baptism that Jesus keeps exclusively in his own hands. It consists of the implanting of grace into the inward person. It is a baptism not of the body. It is a baptism of the heart. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, for in one spirit we were all baptized. That's what, that's what John says Jesus is doing, into one body, Jews and Greeks, right? There's everyone, not just Jews, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, he says, John speaks here of the baptism which is absolutely necessary for salvation. The baptism of water, the baptism we do over here sometimes uh, in the hot tub, right? He says, uh, the baptism of water is, is a blessed event. It's, it's a profitable ordinance, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is of far greater importance. The man who dies with his heart not baptized by Christ cannot be saved. Can someone be saved if they haven't been in a church service and been baptized? Yes. Can they be, ba uh, can they be saved if they haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And the answer is no. In back to our passage in verse 35, right? It just, it tells us this. I think I got ahead of myself here. It says, now the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold the Lamb of God. This is the second time he said this. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So the first time John sees Jesus coming and points to him and calls him the Lamb of God. We're not told of anyone who inquired or asked questions or followed him. But on the second day, when he repeated the same words, two of John's own disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And John tells his disciples, the people he's trained, the people who served him, the people he loved, he says to them, he points them to Jesus and he says, not me but him. That's point four. Be sure to fill that in or you won't remember it. So not me, but him, right? So the religious leaders asked John, who are you and what are you doing? And people might ask us today in so many words as Christians, who are you and what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? What would you say if somebody came up to you today with a clipboard and they said, hey, we just heard about some like sketchy stuff you're doing and you're talking about Jesus, talking about the gospel and all this stuff. Like, who are you, right? Who said you could do that? Who are you and what are you doing with your life? Like, what is your life pointing to? Here's, here's my point. It's very clear with John. All John does is this. He just keeps pointing. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Not here. Look at Jesus. It's not me. It's Jesus. I'm not the Christ, it's Jesus. I just do water baptism. Can you see? He's just deflecting all the time. People want to say, oh, John, you're great. Oh, John, you're wonderful. Oh, John, you're a crazy man of God. You know, and he just says, no, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. That's the point. That's what it's about. And it, it stands in such contrast to the way I think a lot of us live today. For so many people today, right, the focus is about me. Notice me, like me, admire me, affirm me, lift up me, look at me, friend me, 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 me. It's all about me. And this is our culture today. 
And so many people today think, well, Jesus is all about blessing me and, and, and meeting my needs and my, you know, affirming me. And he just, Jesus just lives to, to just kind of, you know, be whatever I need him to be today. But John says, it's not about me. It's about Christ. Think about, just think about this morning, earlier in the service. What, what were we doing when we were singing? What, what was that? What, what was that about? Like when we were praying. What about when we were giving this morning or even right now while we're listening to the word? What, what are we doing here? What, what is this? And I, th- I ask it because I think it's easy sometimes to kind of twist things, to turn them around and where we start to make things about me. And it comes out in subtle ways. It, it comes out like, you know, you come in and we're singing a song. And have you ever thought like, I don't really like that song. I don't, I don't like the beat, you know? It's too fast, it's too slow, it's too high, it's too low, it's too new, it's too old, whatever it is. All right, see, that's a different question than uh, does that glorify Christ? You see how that's different? You know, it's about you. When the question really should be, does it glorify Jesus? It's about Jesus. Is it making people think about Jesus? This is what we do sometimes as Christians. We make it about us and not about him. What about the fellowship time during the greeting time when he came in afterwards? Right, again, we can make it about us or about Jesus. It's about us that we decide, well, I just want to talk to the people I know and the people I like and I want to talk about what I did and stuff instead of like, did you point anyone to Jesus this morning? <laughs> when you talk to them, did you, did you ask anybody, hey, how's your spiritual life? How, how's God blessed you this week? to get people to think about Christ, right? We could, we could do it during the sermon too, by the way, right? Where we start to think like, well, I don't know, I'll give it a seven, uh, you know, and if he keeps going, I'm taking off a point for every minute longer that he goes, right? right? Well, I didn't like that topic or I didn't like that story or I didn't like that illustration. It was too long, it was too short. What, what are we doing when we do that? We're not, it's not about Jesus anymore, is it? It's just about me. Instead of does it focus on the gospel? Let me ask you, what is your life pointing to right now? When you're outside of these walls, what are you pointing people to? Now, I know it can be intimidating in our culture to uh, talk and live and act like John the Baptist, right? Uh, if you're gonna talk about Jesus anywhere in our world as Savior, all right, then you're on shaky ground because if you talk about Jesus as Savior, then you have to talk about sin, right? You, you have to. I've had people ask this, like, why do I need a savior? Well, because you're a sinner. That, people love that, right? In conversations, they love when you just say, well, the problem is you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Right? If you talk about sin, then you have to talk about truth, right? In a world where everybody's like, I have my truth and you have your truth, and then you say, nope, actually, no, uh-uh. No, I don't have my truth, you don't have your truth. There's only truth. There's only God's truth. Again, you'll be the life of the party, right? If you go somewhere and you say, well, and you, why don't you save you? Because you're a sinner, right? Well, what's sin? Well, that's, right, that's when you don't live according to the truth. And then if you talk about sin and you talk about truth, you might have to take a stand. You might have to draw a line in the sand. You might have to be against something, right? I hear people, Christians all the time say, let's, you know, let's talk about what we're for. We should talk about what we're for, absolutely. But sometimes to be for something, you also have to be against something. And if you're against something, you might offend someone, maybe, I don't know. And you might make them mad and they might push back and they might unfriend you and it can take, it can be intimidating. Right? It can take faith, it can be uncomfortable. But the question is this, do you really believe that Jesus Christ is Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? 
Do you really believe that we are sinners who needed a savior? Or are we simply misguided and misunderstood people who need Jesus to affirm us and you know, accept us and make us feel better about ourselves so we can just right, be the best possible me? John says, it's not about me. It's about him. Look to Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. Call people to repent of their sin and to trust in Christ. When you go home, point to Jesus. When you go to work, point to Jesus. When you go to school, point to Jesus. When you're on the team, when you excel, when you get an A, when you get a promotion, right? Not me, not about me, about Jesus. Point people to Christ. That's what we do. I've told you before about my father-in-law uh, who passed away a little while back and um, our daughter was going to school in, in Phoenix at the time and um, Don had cancer. Um, really uh, just one of the most godly men that I've ever known and I've, I've told you about him before and I've told you the story but um, I needed to go down to Arizona and it didn't appear that he was going to last um, and so I went to visit him and uh, we had to talk. He could barely talk at all, but as we talked, he just said, you know, I might not see you again. So he wanted to tell me about the funeral and what to do and, you know, what not to do. And basically what he said is, you know, I don't, do not do a slideshow with pictures of me. Do not let people get up and tell stories about me. Don't, I don't want you to tell stories about me. I just want you to talk about Jesus. Just give them the gospel. Just tell them about Christ. Don't tell them about me. Let it be about Jesus because some of the people who are there don't know him and they need him. And, and I, I tell you that because, you know, it was like, it's a great story, but, but the thing about Don was that's the way he lived every day. If you met Don, you know. He was always like that. Every, he didn't just die that way. He lived that way. And if you met him, you know, he would, if you kind of ran into him somewhere, he would always say to you, how's the Lord been treating you? What's God been doing in your life? And he would just feed you, like, go ahead, I dare you, right? Talk about Jesus, like, lift up Jesus. Talk about him, right? Don't just die as, as a pointer, live as a pointer. Be pointing people to Christ, your kids, your spouse, your friends, your neighbors, the people you work with. Point people to Christ. It's not me, it's him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage about this incredible man, about John the baptizer, John the Baptist. A humble servant who pointed people to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you for his example. And Father, we realize that we need to be like John. We are surrounded by people who cannot see Christ. They cannot recognize the creator in creation. They, they cannot recognize the truth when they hear it. They do not know Christ. And we need to point them to the Savior. We need to tell them about the gospel we need to let them know that there is a grace that is available to them so that their sins can be forgiven, that they can become children of God, and that they can walk in a newness of life. All of these things that we know, that we might even take for granted at times, 
But we forget there are people around us who don't know that yet. And so they need not to be impressed with us. They need us to point to Jesus. Father God, help us. Give us the faith. Give us the courage. Give us the focus to, po- to, to point today to Jesus. At home, at work, at school, at Starbucks, wherever we are, that we would be pointing people to the Savior, to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen.